and a very good morning, listeners. You are listening to today's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, uh, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and The Connection, Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Islanders, yes, sorry. <laughs> morning, Maz. Morning, Dave. It's uh, Bryce that was talking to you then. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> didn't this is Bryce. Hello, I didn't even introduce myself. He's got to drive everything yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. so difficult. Yes. Good morning. Morning. Yeah. Um, I would like to acknowledge that we are presenting on Gunnawal Country and yep. to pay my pr- respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I would also like to welcome our new connection worker, Jimmy Capine, who is joining us in the studio this morning um, for the first time. Morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So News from the Drug War Front reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources, including the mainstream media, and as such, the contents of this News from the Drug War Front broadcast and podcast may not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Karma and The Connection. Karma and the Connection focus on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma exists to promote the health and human rights of people who use drugs and people who use drug treatment services. Good morning, my darlings. It's Marion here, and I don't know about you lot, but I thought yesterday felt like a holiday for me. <laughs> yeah, really felt like a holiday mm. up until about lunchtime, anyway, when I got out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> but so we've got pretty much a change of government. In fact, yep. definitely a change of government. Mm. I think seventy-seven yeah. seats, and next week we've got uh, we're doing the reconciliation week. Yep, and this week we just introduced Jimmy to you all so that he can get a chance to find out what it's all about and how the radio show works. But I need to tell you, and as you probably know, Karma and The Connection, who present you this program, provide a wide range of services such as advocacy, peer treatment support, education, art therapy support groups, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and the Harm Reduction are peer-based harm reduction services. And we'll get into that a little bit further on which, and talk about, um, particularly about drug... Uh, what's it called? Drug decriminalisation and what it means. We've got a story about that. Yes, we do. Karma and the Connection are harm reduction uh, services. They are uh, located at Belconnen Churches Centre on Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. Their telephone number's 653 3643 and their drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. If you contact them on that telephone number, 62533643, and make an appointment is your best idea because at the moment we're still working on COVID-sensible arrangements, so some... Uh, staff will be there on some days and some staff will be there on other days. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably best to meet people if the weather's nice enough, if you want to meet a worker, meet them on uh, neutral ground outside of the office, although sometimes it might be more convenient to meet them in the office and you can do that too. So we can assist people with a wide range of services, uh, including advice and advocacy around opioid maintenance treatment, accessing um, and being paid to treat your hepatitis C in conjunction with Hep Hep ACT and the Reach, Teach, Treat, Thrive program, helping people to cope with and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination directed towards them as illicit drug users and, you know, women alcohol and drug users, Indigenous alcohol and drug users, it doesn't matter the discrimination is ongoing and has been for at least 60, 70 years. I'm not 70 years old yet, <laughs> but I'm getting close. Um, a walk-in health cleaner, clinic sorry, with a doctor and nurse from 10am till 2pm every Wednesday in partnership with Directions ACT. No appointment necessary. 
and peer education workshops, including the opioid overdose management training workshop incorporating take-home naloxone, for which you get paid, and The Fix, which is a series of one-hour paid workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction. Uh, and that's an Indigenous program in particular, isn't it, The Fix? Uh, no, Murugati is Murugati, Indigenous. Okay. Yeah. beg your pardon. Providing uh, assistance sorry. and advocacy for people who are experiencing social issues or having trouble navigating social services, which, let's face it, who doesn't? Mm. The Connections Harm Reduction Peer Education Program, Murugati, is for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. I see all I had to do was read further down <laughs> the page. The Connection team also offered the same assistance as Karma, but in a culturally appropriate fashion that is tailored specifically for Indigenous, Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal clients. Um, if you're having problems associated with alcohol, tobacco and drug use and don't know where to get help, or even if you just want to have a chat about your use with someone who knows what you're going through and can empathise with your experience, because Karma is a peer-based organisation we don't judge you for it so give Karma a call on that number again 62533643 and if we can't help you then we'll find someone who can well said Mass uh, well we're going to go to our first track for today uh, this is one of Mass has brought in one of your favourites Mass is it it's a newie, darling, by the John Butler Trio. Recent, reasonably new, anyway, by John Butler Trio, and really it tells a story of him and his a lot about his dad actually. And it's called comes from an album called Home, and the track is called um, uh, Coffee, Methadone, and Cigarettes, which we've played before, but I think it's worth playing again. Awesome! It's ten thirty nine here on News from the Drug War Front on Two Double X FM ninety eight point three. Your public radio. Yes. And we are back here at News from the Drug War Front. I will put everyone else's mic on. <laughs> uh, so our first story is, uh, comes from Kay Holroyd uh, from the Area News, 22nd of the 5th, 2022, and it's titled, A New Exhibition Will Examine Seven Stories of Those Battling or Recovering from Addiction to Ice. Griffith Regional Art Gallery will be exhibiting an arts documentary collaboration sharing the stories of seven people living with or recovering from an addiction to crystal meth. The exhibition titled On Thin Ice is a collaboration between journalist Ginger Gorman and artist Hilary Wardhu, Martin Ullman, Tom Buckland and Jess Higgins. Miss Wardow and Mr Ullman are photographers, Mr Buckland is a sculptor and Miss Higgins is a printmaker. Acting CEO of Tuggeranong Arts Centre, where the exhibition began, Karina Keyes, said that the show will look beyond snap judgments that so often colour our experience with drug addiction. Beautiful. Uh, Miss Keyes told media, the multidisciplinary exhibition goes beyond headlines and stereotypes, beyond the snap judgments and prejudice, beyond the meth crisis and ice epidemic. This project grew out of conversations we had with our public when it became clear there was a real need to tell the stories of addiction and recovery. A beautiful message right there. Miss Gorman, who previously wrote the book Troll Hunting, interviewed participants for the project and she said she hoped the exhibition would encourage more compassion from those struggling with addiction. Miss Gorman said, What I've noticed about drug addiction, and in particular use of the drug ice, is that it's highly stigmatised. The betrayal in the media and in advertising of people who use methamphetamine, and in particular the stronger form of ice, shows them to be selfish and violent. Perhaps after reading and listening to those stories, these stories and engaging with the imagery and artworks in the exhibition, you'll actually consider how we treat people with addiction and how we can make society fairer. So Art Gallery coordinator Ray Holohan said that the exhibition was a reminder of the therapeutic benefits of art especially for individuals recovering from illness or trauma. Mr Holohan said, The Art Gallery endeavours to produce an annual program that excites and inspires, but also reflects issues facing uh, contemporary sociality and showcases the therapeutic nature of the creative arts. 
On thin ice will begin on the 21st of May and runs till the 19th of June and more information is available available at the Griffith Gallery's website. So local listeners should note that this exhibition is located at the gallery in the town of Griffith in New South Wales and not a suburb of Griffith in Canberra. That's a good... That's quite a, a difference. Distinction. <laughs> Big distinction. Yeah. However, that uh, exhibition has been in Canberra, and, and I think it's um, really it's encouraging that galleries are, mm. are looking at art of therapy and yeah, um, therapeutic art because I think there's some wonderful art comes out of the space. And um, yeah. I mean, certainly the Karma office is absolutely adorned with art from. Yeah. Local artists. Some of the people, of the users that come, either volunteer or mm. actually attend, or some of the peers yeah. that work are incredibly talented artists mm. in one way or another. Whether it's uh, musically, or um, yeah. some or, or in painting, in sculpting, in just in language. Yeah, uh, a lot of the literary um, output. <clears throat> excuse me, from drug users, it's been long remembered mm. you know so many people have written books yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, just fabulous stuff that's mm. been put out and it's really also brings to the point the fact that drug users not just drug users yeah yeah they're not they that's mm. not the only role they play drug yeah. use may feature in their lives but it's not the only skill that they have multidisciplined it's not, it is part <laughs> of their behavior yeah yeah. Drug yeah. users have other things that they do. They are mothers, brothers, sisters, parents, mm. aunts, uncles, workers, you know, politicians, you name it. They yeah. have a range of skills. And uh, of rock course, stars. Artists. There's a hell of a lot of rock stars yeah. who also use drugs. Yeah. Yes, didn't they? <laughs> mm. Art therapy for me personally has been very cathartic and, and yeah. helped me. And you just yeah, need to, yeah, a as lot of Dave issues. says, you look at the stuff around the walls of the karma offices mm. yeah. and it's really gobsmacking the amount of stuff that comes out of the some of the projects that are run yeah. or just that people come in and do off the bat. Yes. So thanks, yeah. Natasha, too, because she actually brings a lot of, mm. um, assist, a lot of awareness yeah. to art because yeah. she's particularly talented in yeah. that area and mm. in teaching people how to use art art, physical art, to um, increase people's awareness of themselves and to bring out their feelings mm-hmm. and their their own space, yeah. the awareness of their own issues and how they see it because often people see their lives not in words but in pictures. Yep. Mm. And I see my, uh, what's going on in language, yep. but I and I, I'm not as talented an artist as many other people, although you know, Natasha will always say that people have a talent that they never realise. But the people who do see the world in pictures rather mm. than in words, I and I find that drug users have a really there's a high rate of artists Definitely. that do that. Yeah, mm. yeah. very talented. Drug users that use art. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, so um, continuing stories about drug users. Uh, this comes from Ashley Barraclough on of ABC News on the first of May, twenty twenty two. Rod's been using heroin for thirty eight years. This is what he wants you to know about drug addiction. When Rod was homeless, he needed to find places he could inject heroin without being seen. That's how he ended up overdosing in the bathroom in the Victoria Park train station. He said he would have died if it had not been for the person who happened to be in the stall next to him who called an ambulance. After 38 years of using heroin in a country with a criminalised approach to illegal drugs, Rod which is not his real name, said stigma and incarceration were endangering lives. Rod says, I don't think it's helpful for people that are using drugs to feel like you have to do it in the shadows or in the margins. Mm, But unfortunately, that's the reality of it. The article goes on, drug decriminalisation is a controversial topic in Victoria where non-medical marijuana remains criminalised. Unlike in South Australia, the ACT, although our laws have been trodden upon from above, and the Northern Territory, again, where laws have been trodden upon by, by mm. the, because the Territory governments 
do not have the same status as the state governments. Yeah. However, we may have a change because we know that the senator who's been responsible for a lot of that has possibly lost his seat this mm-hmm. election. Addictions, <laughs> anyway, the article goes on. Addiction specialists argue decriminalisation allows drugs to be used more safely and saves lives, which we know is to be true. And it has in countries that have done it, like Portugal, which I wish they'd stop using, while opponents say it would encourage drug use. He explains to the ABC, I started using because my friends started using. This is Rod we're talking about still. Oh, Rod, sorry, Rod started when he was 17 and living in an abusive household. He grew up in a working class part of Melbourne's northern suburbs where he said young people turned to drugs because there was nothing else to do or not much else to do. He explains to the ABC, I started using because my friends started using. My friends meant everything to me, so I found solace in that sort of camaraderie. He's now in his 50s and his addiction has become something to manage. The truth is, he said, I've never been able to stop. Rod spoke to the ABC on the condition of anonymity because of the stigma surrounding illegal drug use. It's a very isolating and lonely place, he said. There's a lot of shame attached to being a drug user. Which I just pause and say there that's one of the reasons for the peer organisations like Karma mm-hmm. is to stop that loneliness and that isolation and the stigma from becoming overwhelming, so overwhelming that you feel like there is no one else in the world but you suffering from this problem. That's and right. it is a problem yep. that you can join Karma or peer education programs yep. and meet other people like you. So the article goes on. Mm, it's a uh, Rod said places where he scores drugs are heavily policed, which has resulted in him being arrested for possession. Rod says he experienced withdrawal in the police cell after being caught with drugs. What a surprise. <laughs> being in the cell usually lasts a, f- a few hours, he said, which leads to painful withdrawals. And I have to say there, again, that's actually intentional, my belief. Mm. The police keep you until you're hanging out mm. so that what you do the minute you get released is bolt off and get on again. Mm. Yeah. Rod says withdrawal is one of the most abhorrent feelings that you'll ever experience. You're physically ill and that happens in the cell. The police don't take you to a detox or to a doctor, they don't even bring one in, that can prescribe your pharmacotherapy. You're released back onto the street. They don't see you as someone that has had their own life and their own history. Yeah. Uh, So what does does drug decriminalisation mean? According to Professor Alan Ritter of the Drug Policy Modelling Programme, In essence, decriminalisation refers to a reduction of legal penalties. This can be done either by changing them to civil penalties, such as fines, or by diverting drug use offenders away from a criminal conviction and into education or treatment options, also known as diversion. Decriminalisation largely largely applies to drug use and possession offences, not to the sale or supply of drugs. Victoria Police Assistant Commissioner Tony Langdon said the police's focus was on arresting and prosecuting drug dealers while connecting those suffering from addiction to support services. He said as part of Victoria Police's 2020 to 2025 drug strategy, where appropriate police will look to divert and refer people who need help into appropriate services, while also continuing to trial different ways of supporting programs and services which are effective in reducing the harmful effects of drugs and related problems. This includes supporting public education and awareness around the impact of drug use, using early referral processes, increasing police discretion for diversion and encouraging the use of treatment services. <coughs> Excuse me. Greg Denham is a former Victoria Police Senior Sergeant turned alcohol and other drug AOD worker at CoHealth who does outreach with the drug users in Melbourne's western suburbs. He said, we are a service that they can trust, where they know they are going to not be judged. He said, the police usually have good intentions around dealing with drug users, and quote, but it's so far removed from their lives, which is a true statement. Yeah, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, is it not? Um, The people on the street injecting who are part of the drug scene obviously see the police as the enemy. Mr Denham said that many people he deal 
said many people he deals with turn to drugs because of trauma and mental health issues, which is exacerbated sorry, uh, by the police response. He explains they're picked up for a minor offence of drug use and that reinforces and traumatises them. I'm still traumatised by police. I'm sorry, at the age yeah. of 67, yeah, yeah, yeah. a blue yeah. uniform still scares mm-hmm. the life out mm-hmm. of me. Just, um, I just want to go back to that where you said about police discretion. That is that is the big topic, I believe, yeah. in the over-representation of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people yep. in the justice system. I think you're absolutely right there, Jimmy. The yeah. and that is the police discretion. Yep, mm-hmm. no I've argument here. firsthand how yeah. that works. Absolutely, yeah. Jimmy. So we could discuss yeah. this a little bit further because right. we're just about to go to the news now. Yeah, so, um, yeah. we um, break? Yeah. 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 Go on, Jimmy. Oh, well, um... Mr Denham said overdose is common, so he and other AOD workers carry naloxone, a drug that can temporarily reverse an opioid overdose, to administer before the ambulance arrives. We also encourage people to go and get naloxone themselves, so they carry it on them, he said, which we would like officers to carry naloxone like they do in Western Australia. So would we. Dan Lubman Executive Clinical Director of Addiction Treatment and Research Centre Turning Point said Australia needs to have an honest conversation about drug criminalisation. According to Mr Lubman, the war on drugs has been one of the most catastrophic policy failures in history in terms of the impact that it's had, despite putting billions of dollars into this. We've seen an extended drug market and more dangerous drug supply controlled by organised crime. Yeah, we better stop for some news, hey? We're going on to the news. We are. Welcome back. That was Gouge Away by the Pixies. You are listening to News from the Drug War Front. It's 11.06. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3, people-powered radio. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, jump on the station's websites, 2XXFM.org.au. Sponsor uh, a program, uh, sponsor the station, isn't that right? Uh, Maz, That's can... right. this is public radio and it's your voice and our voice really to the people so if you want the opportunity to even have a radio show of your own and if you've got a group that wants to we make so many programs in Canberra from Double X and public radio around Australia That's correct. it's well worth joining Double X to become a volunteer even just learn how to work the station's um, <laughs> Boards, Panel, which yeah. some people don't. Which um, I'm having a horror show of today. <laughs> well worth doing. Anyway. So we're going to pick on. up the story. Yeah, we'll continue on with our story, which is uh, from Ashley Barraclough still, yeah? Yes, yeah, from ABC News. And we're up to a report by the Victorian government. Uh, no, oh, so uh, Jimmy. Sorry, oh, we did that. Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's doing that. Yeah, yeah we're... Um, Talk about a major Australian study which Professor Lubman contributed to found alcohol was the most harmful drug in the country. Well, you don't say. When considering the harms to both the user and others, he said, yet it's something that the community sees not as a harmful drug but as something to be enjoyed and celebrated. We have this arbitrary legal definition of what is good drug and what is bad drug. He supports drug decriminalisation, which he said means removing criminal penalties for people found in possession of drugs. Professor Lubman said, We already have sort of a de facto decriminalisation through drug diversion programs which operate in every state and territory. This involves diverting people found in possession of drugs to education programs rather than handing them a criminal charge. However, he said the caution and diversion system in its current form is not working as the decision is at police discretion. Which Indeed backs up the is. point that you were <laughs> yeah, making before, yeah. Jimmy. Oh, yes, yeah. police we discretion. We that off here mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. That, and that's a very important point. A report by the Victorian Parliament found Victoria's police overall use of cautions as opposed to charges has declined over the past decade. It found young Aboriginal people and young people in low socioeconomic groups were less likely to receive a caution. Assistant Commissioner Langdon said Victoria Police instituted a policy in July last year giving its officers greater powers to issue cautions for drug possessions. The Assistant Commissioner said, quote, these changes will play a key role 
in diverting children and adults away from the criminal justice system, thus reducing their likelihood of future criminal involvement. The police will still take appropriate criminal action when required. And that discretion is a real problem. Mm. And I think it's more of an obstacle than Mm. it is a... It just gives the police the permission to target those people that they feel are more likely to be drug users they don't like, um, as opposed to drug users who are just enjoying themselves. Which tend to be minorities, like Indigenous people, homeless people. Well, unless they're a policeman because Mm -hmm. it's part of their culture. Yeah. Yes. Okay, in February, um, Reason MP Fiona Patton (coughs) tried to push a bill through Victoria's Parliament to end drug drug criminalisation. Though it was not supported by either party, either major party, she did manage to get the government to agree to consider a localised trial that she described as, quote, effectively decriminalisation. Mm. A government spokesperson said there were no plans to decriminalise drugs in Victoria. They probably would. <laughs> the details of the trial have gone to a working group to be decided, but Ms Patton hopes it will involve Victoria Police automatically diverting people found with small amounts of drugs to education and treatment. Mm. She said, quote, The harm for everyone relating to drug use in countries where decriminalisation has been placed for a significant period of time is greatly reduced. State opposition leader Matthew Guy said Victoria has, quote, bigger problems than drug criminalisation. As one might expect, his response was the concept around decriminalisation or even the possession of illicit drugs, I believe, sends the wrong message. That's a song now. Mm. Sends Mm. the wrong message at the wrong time. (laughs) As a parent, I couldn't think of anything worse than sending a message from State Parliament that decriminalisation of drugs such as ice is on the agenda. I love how they throw the word ice in there, just to make it really dangerous. Absolutely, yeah. because ice yeah. is the Scary. one that they can't manage. Yeah. Right? Mm. Speaking in February about Fiona Patton's bill, a Police Association of Victoria Secretary, Wayne Gate, said that the government should carefully consider uh, the messaging and impacts of any proposal to, to decriminalise drugs. Mr Gates reiterated Mr Guy's concerns about messaging. Messaging is really important when it comes to drug use because drug use causes harm in our community. Oh boy. Any sort of decision making in this space would have to would would have to have regard to things like road trauma, would have to have regard to community safety and violence on our streets. Things like family violence in our homes and places where we don't necessarily see the impact of drug use. Alcohol use. Yeah. More relates Mm -hmm. to, I'm thinking. He also said Victoria needed to invest in more drug treatment facilities. Uh, In 2018, the state government opened a trial-safe injecting room in Richmond after a spate of heroin-related deaths. A review found it recorded... 119,223 visits in its first 18 months of operation and saved 21 lives. That's 21 lives that's been saved. That's beautiful. I assume that means that's where they had to use naloxone, Mm. but God knows Mm. how many lives is actually saved by just existing. That's exactly right. People don't have to use in toilets. A second centre is in the works for the CBD, but Mrs. Mrs. Patton said the process had been bogged down by politics. According to Miss Patton, there's a lot of people who would rather these people were not treated as human beings. What a surprise. Hmm. Addiction specialists says, say the facilities save lives, while the state opposition and some nearby residents have raised concerns about incidents they believe are linked to the Richmond injecting room. Again, they believe. There's they no believe. proof there, though. Yeah. Paul McCartney, a GP at CoHealth in Fitzroy, is one of the only doctors in Victoria licensed to prescribe injectable bu- Norphrine. <laughs> Every time I struggle. Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, a drug that can reduce a patient's dependence on opioids for up to a month with each injection. He said, for some people, it's been fantastic. It's really been quite freeing and revolutionary for them in really changing the way substance use is impacting them. Despite this, he said patients face barriers in accessing opioid replacement therapy. 
He continued, There's a real shortage of doctors in Victoria who are willing to prescribe the appropriate treatments for people who have become dependent on opioids. It could be argued that the medical profession actually kind of abdicated its responsibility. So Dr McCartney said the disadvantage of GPs shying away from treating addiction is that patients have to go to clinics known for specialising in substance use, which can be prohibitive. The alternative is sticking with illicit drugs. He said his facility does not charge for buprenorphine, but that many pharmacists do. Meanwhile, Rod says drug criminalisation contributed to his study to get secure housing and work over the years. He explains that when you're an addict, it dominates your whole life. And it took Rod eight years to complete, but he now has an arts degree and he works four days a week and lives in public housing. Rod concludes, I spent 20 years trying to make my way. It was a really long struggle. I want to well, thank Rod for his story too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. It's, it's hard to put your stories out there and, yeah, thank you. Does um, that say, does it, did it say somewhere that Rod was on buprenorphine? Some, no, no, I no, no. Yeah, no. Um, so obviously he's found some way to substitute. Well, it doesn't actually say. He may still be using. He could um, well still be using. It doesn't that, that, state what his, point, his status is. Yeah. You know, that, and that's what's actually encouraging here is that they've written a story about him um, and so often where they write personal stories about this, you know, there's a redemption thing, you know. It's, yeah. it's all about his recovery journey. They might talk about other things like stigma and discrimination and policy and prohibition, but it's all about the redemption journey. And in this yeah. case, it's not, you know, they don't really talk about where Rod is at the moment in terms of drug and, use. Drug use. They say true. he's got a house, he's got a job, he's mm. got his arts degree and so mm. forth. Might still be using. Well, there yeah. may be a big yeah. gap, yeah. between may a big mm. edita- edited piece mm. between Rod explaining when you're an addict it dominates your whole life and then it yeah. took Rod eight years to complete but he now has an arts degree. Mm. He may well still be using. Yeah. Because you could, mm. there's no reason that it has to dominate your whole mm. life. Yeah. It is a 24-7. Yeah. Thing, but simply because it's illicit mm. and yeah. it's difficult to find sometimes. Yeah, that's um, correct. But I think you know, the yeah, it's got. I'm sure there's a bit edited out of mm. that that explains where Rod's actually up to in his mm. drug use, whether he's still using, whether he's on buprenorphine. Maybe methadone. he just told them to mind their own business. <laughs> <laughs> said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's my life story. <laughs> yeah. um, but yep. you can mind You've your got own as business. As much as you're going to get, because if I tell you anymore, anymore. yeah, yeah well, we know the result. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us the good um, bit. Right? How about the huge number of visits in the first eighteen months of the? Yeah, it's, that's mm. nineteen thousand two hundred twenty-three. That's enormous, oh, wow. isn't it? Mm. Mm. And imagine, I think. As I said before, more than 21 lives have been saved. Yeah. That's mm. probably just from the use of naloxone, which mm. we have in yeah. the ACT. Uh, would it be lives saved, uh, people not being arrested? Yeah, people not being arrested, you know, yeah. people yeah. not... Not, not being found dead yeah. in public toilets. Yes. Um, and, you know, people not getting ulcers and mm. things yeah. like that from using in mm. dirty yeah. circumstances. Being shown with how dirty to use equipment. safely. Yeah. I'd love to yeah. have a program where we could do, you know, where we could show people how to use safe, safely, how to mm. find a vein yeah. and how well, to get um, into a vein. There, there is a program, um, yeah, coming up at uh, mm. HEP ACT. It'll be a, a machine that helps you locate veins. So. We are too, I believe. Yes, yes. yes. So get yes. in contact with Karma or HEP ACT for more details of that. Right. Um, we're going to go to a song now. It's 11.18 and um, talking about a revolution, which we kind of had on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is Tracy. We're going to go to the song, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah. Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution. Welcome back to News from the Drug War Front. And it is 11.21 on People Powered Radio 2 FM 98.3. Okay, so this next story uh, where comes from Josh Taylor in The Guardian Australia on the 22nd of May 2022. It is a legalised cannabis rides high in Senate vote as grassroots campaign pays off. In what looks like a surprise success grassroots campaign, Legalised Cannabis Australia has, has emerged as a vote winner in the Senate 
performing strongly in several states and even rivaling One Nation's vote in Queensland. The micro-party, as the name suggests, is pushing for marijuana to be legalised, followed up its success in last year's Western Australia election where it picked up two upper house seats. According to the latest Senate results, legalised cannabis has picked up between 2% and 7% of the Senate vote in most states and the Northern Territory. The party has 7.5% of the vote in the NT, 3.9% in Western Australia, 6.7% in Queensland, 3.4% in Victoria and 3% in New South Wales, with 38.6% of the total vote counted nationally as of Sunday midday. The party recorded just 1.8% of the vote in the ACT, where cannabis possession Mm. has already been decriminalised for people aged 18 years and over. The party was previously known as the Help in Marijuana Prohibition, Hemp, in brackets, party, and has been in politics for close to 30 years. The party is run out of the Hemp Embassy in Nimbin, in northern New South Wales, and runs on a single policy platform to treat cannabis like tobacco and alcohol. Mm. Mm. The party says people should be able to grow as much as they want, but if they want to sell it, they should be licensed and charged fees. Listeners might remember that uh, two weeks ago we had a member of uh, Legalised Cannabis Australia on the program, Mm. and... um, Frankly, I'm surprised that they actually got that much of the vote because the uh, yeah. representative on the program mm. was uh, somewhat less than uh, <clears throat> open-minded about anything and seemed to be an anti-vaxxer as well. Like yeah. That. And mm. So it was a little bit disappointing that they were so that they are so single mm. um, minded, singly minded. Yeah. Anyway, mm, the article mm. goes on. Legalised Cannabis Australia has around 221,000 followers on Facebook but ran no advertising on either Google or Facebook during the election. This is something the party said. Uh, the party has said is because the platforms will not allow them to advertise with cannabis in the name of the page. The party's name and distinctive cannabis leaf logo May, have alone, may alone have been a significant attractor of votes. In Queensland, where the party rolled, has polled the highest, it was third on the Senate ballot paper. For comparison, the party is trailing Pauline Hanson's One Nation by just 1% in her Queensland stronghold, where she is currently fighting to win the last Senate spot on the, in the state, which just goes to show you how deeply thinking people in Pauline Hanson's One Nation electorate are, are that they've got him so close to her. The success could also... Look, I've actually found when I was voting I was really disgusted at who we had to select from. Mm. We had to vote for six people and we only had yeah. six candidates on the Senate ballot paper. Totally. That meant you had to put someone mm. that you didn't want to vote for at all somewhere on the ballot. <laughs> it paper. actually hurt like my feelings. Like United Australia Party. Uh, that, that part hurt my feelings. That just uh, got up my nose. However, we won't. Don't get upset. Hooray for the women. Okay, the party's name done that in Queensland. The success could also be part in part due to the pandemic factor. Australians were consuming cannabis in record quantities during the pandemic, according to the latest National Wastewater Drug (laughs) Monitoring Project report released by Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission. I love that wastewater. Yeah, the latest turd skinning report. (laughs) Absolutely a non... Absolutely spurious way... Of mm. determining and how they, much drug in the way drugs people and are they using. seem to be so convinced that it's one hundred percent accurate yeah, and yeah. Um, um, the, provides the them with all this profound mm. yeah, insight no into what yep. people are using and so forth. And how much they've stopped? How many illicit drugs mm. they've stopped from? They make estimates on how many drugs aren't in the community. Yeah, because of what's in the wastewater. Mm. Made, it, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Spurious, mm. furious. I oh, look, and that'll be my favourite word this week. I think <laughs> uh, the report found there was an all-time high can, uh, can, cannabis consumption, average cannabis consumption recorded in August in 2021, 
in New South Wales, Northern Territory, Queensland, South Australia and Western Australia with record capital city cannabis consumption in October in Queensland and the ACT, according to their P. In Victoria, Reason Party MP Victoria Fiona Patton, MP Fiona Patton, sorry, put up a bill in Parliament to decriminalise drugs, where instead police... We did that uh, that, that was in the oh, last just, story that was as the well. other article. Okay. Yeah. Where instead police would issue a compulsory notice and referral to drug education or treatment to people believed to have used or possessed a drug of dependence, except alcohol. That's in brackets, yeah. and I put that there. Despite decriminalisation being supported by the United Nations and the World Health Organisation and in Australia by the Australian Medical Association, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners and the Royal Australasian College of Physicians, as well as several key drug and alcohol bodies, both the Labor and Liberal parties are opposed to the bill. And I would say that's largely because they are morally frightened of those drugs because they've been living with the propaganda for 60 years and they're not over it yet. Okay. Yeah. That's the end of that bit. Yep. We're on to international stories. We are. Um, And this one comes from JJ Bullock in News Nation from the United States on the 14th of May 2022. Drug overdose deaths hit record during pandemic. Why? Because people are using alone. As a COVID-19 pandemic swept across the US, killing over a million people to date, another pandemic was boiling underneath the surface. Ah, this is in the US, yes. Drug sorry. overdose deaths. In 2021, a record 107,000 Americans died of drug overdose deaths. That's almost one every five minutes, which sets a US, US record. The deadly drug fentanyl, which was 50 times more potent than heroin, was the main culprit behind the death count. Just a few milligrams of fentanyl, equivalent to a few grains of sand, can be fatal. Some who overdose on the drug do so unwittingly, as it can be cut into other drugs like meth, amphetamine and heroin. Many health experts believe that the COVID-19 pandemic played a role in increasing the number of overdose deaths. Psychiatrist Dr Yolda Safai told News Nation, the opioid epidemic was a problem way before the pandemic, but now you add the virus and you have social isolation, you have economic pressure, which has been seen, been widespread since the beginning of the pandemic. Absolutely. These two reasons are enough to cause a relapse in drug use and mm. could have contributed to the increase in overdoses. Yeah. We've been reporting that overdose death rate in the United States for the last four, two, four years. Mm, Jeff, yeah. it's, I mean, Dave, it's just been getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Uh, Safai added that the temporary closure of some drug treatment centres during the pandemic shutdown also played a role in drug overdoses. She continues, however, all this cannot fully explain what we're seeing today. The pandemic alone is not enough to blame for the uptick in overdoses. The opioid epidemic progressed in three phases, Sophia said. The first phase was in the 1990s and mostly involved prescription opioids. Then in 2010, an increase in heroin use launched the second phase. In 2013, a new phase began to emerge, she said, the era of fentanyl. A growing share of the deaths we see today continue to come from overdoses involving fentanyl that is oftentimes mixed with other drugs such as methamphetamine. Fentanyl is typically found as a fine white powder that can be easily mixed into other drugs and even stamped into counterfeit pills. Sapphire concludes, because fentanyl is so much cheaper to produce and distribute than heroin, it makes it more appealing to traffickers and dealers. But because it's so strong and potent, even a small amount can mean the difference between a user getting a normal fix and a mm. fatal overdose. Yeah. And with or without fentanyl, the overdose death rate, I think we reported this last week in Australia, is actually higher than the road toll. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. we need to think mm. about that seriously yeah. in Australia rather than just further mm. and further pushing yeah. drug users yeah. away from services such as peer education services. The mm. middle ground... It's not just black and white. It's not mm. just use drugs or don't use drugs. People are going to use drugs. Yeah. It's been yeah. happening for centuries. 
we just keep telling people week after week after week. It's been going on for 61 years since that first um, United Nations, whatever it was. And the war on drugs since 71. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, go mm-hmm. on. So yeah. effective... Talking to the microphone, Don. For fentanyl, is it how effective? Is uh, it is quite effective for fentanyl um, because although fentanyl is very strong, it doesn't bind particularly strongly to opioid receptors, and that's where um, naloxone comes in. So it uh, would remove the fentanyl from the receptors and take its place. Um, so it is quite effective, but what What's really important is you, you get to the person quickly. Yeah, and it's the potency drop. of the fentanyl. That's yeah, the I had heard somewhere mm-hmm. that yeah that uh, fentanyl was immune to uh, naloxone. No, 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 no that's, that's not true. That's yeah. If the, and if that if that's going around town, you need to tell people loudly, Jimmy, it, that fentanyl mm. is prone to naloxone. It yeah. is. It you does can work. cure an overdose of fentanyl by using naloxone. You may need to use more. It's just difficult to know how much fentanyl is in the local opioids mm-hmm. available on the street, yeah? Yeah. Unless they've been sure prescribed it, when you've I got... Think yeah, I have, uh, yeah I've been asked that question quite a yeah. few times. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is a concern quite a few people have. Naloxone does work with fentanyl overdoses, but like with every other overdose, it is important that you apply it quickly. We should mention yep. it, yeah. And listeners should know that Dave runs the, overdo- the Definitely. overdose uh, death, reduce overdose and death with the naloxone program. Yep. So, you know, if anybody knows, he do. Yeah, all that information is available on our website, yep. which is karma.org.au, um, and there's also stories on there, um, and uh, some videos as well, is my understanding, Dave, on the new on the new website. There's some videos that uh, talk you through the process of naloxone. Yeah, I don't know if they've gone up oh, yet, but okay. they will be soon. Oh, well, when, yeah. When's the next naloxone program? Early morning, Senator. Uh, this afternoon, yeah. but it's already filled School, up. Yeah. Yep. When's yep. the next one? Uh, I don't know if we've got one booked in, but we may well be going back to the early morning centre next week on the 31st. We'll see. Okay. Well, we, uh, we're going to go to a track now. It's Pink Turns to Blue by Huska, Husker DJ? Hus- Huskadoo. Who? Hus- Who? How do you pronounce it, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to News from the Drug Wallfront. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to news from the drug warfront on people-powered radio 2XX FM 98.3. Okay, so staying overseas, this next story comes from Alexander Lechman May in Filter Mag on... Uh, sorry, Alexander Mechter from Filter Mag on May the 18th, 2022. Jimmy. Uh, in the central region of Illinois, the Champaign-Urbana Health District... CUHD in brackets, is giving out free naloxone to local restaurants, gas stations, hotels and other businesses. Good on them. Hundreds of local businesses have already accepted kits containing the overdose reversal medications this year. The project, which began in 2019, currently gives out about 500 kits per month, according to the organisers. Joe Trotter, a prevention specialist for CUHD, explained that they are trying to take both a broad and targeted approach to distributing naloxone, brand name Narcan, making sure it gets into the hands of people who use drugs and their families, but also everywhere else. It is informed by the reality that overdoses can happen any time, anywhere. That's right, yes. We brought on some additional staff and most of their time is spent going out into these locations and walking in and saying, hey, we have an arcane, do you guys want it? Trotter told Filter. They're not selling it, they're not leaving it there if it's unwanted. The idea is we need to raise awareness in the general public about overdoses. Department staff also offer businesses training in how to administer the naloxone, spending up to 45 minutes teaching employees. 90% of all places will take a kit. Asked which type of businesses have responded well to this effort, Trotter said just about all of them. It is rare we have someone who does not want to take a kit of Narcane. 90% of all places will take a kit. Although CUHD does collect data on where it hears that its naloxone has been administered, it won't always be reported. 
and try to describe the current data as unreliable. CUHD additionally runs a syringe service program in Champaign, which is where it first started distributing naloxone to local residents. Mm. I think that's a great idea. I think that everybody should mm. have naloxone. Anyway, the article goes on, as reported by local news gazette, the Health District receives state grant money to buy naloxone in bulk. It estimates that for the whole of 2022, it will spend about 40000 on Narcan. Getting harm reduction tools like naloxone or fentanyl test strips into the hands of local businesses, from bars to libraries, is a key strand of overdose prevention efforts. I mean, let's face it, every, just about everybody knows someone who oh, uses definitely. heroin, yep. either a family member or well, even a relative or a distant friend yeah. or a family or friend. Just, in, just yeah. opiates. Just everyone yeah. knows. Yeah. I think it's just such a good thing to have on hand. Yeah. Um, drug use, however secret, however secretive, is happening in these locations. That's bars and libraries. It's a key strand of the, provert, of the overdose prevention efforts. Health departments or independent harm reduction workers are giving naloxone to local businesses in jurisdictions throughout the country, including Kentucky, Iowa, New York City, San Francisco, Oregon and Delaware. Quote, several other Illinois health departments are also using the same model as CUHD, Trotter said. He explained that two changes at the state level made this work possible. First was Illinois issuing a, quote, naloxone standing order in 2017, which makes the drug accessible to anyone who wants it with no prescription needed. And then in 2019, the state provided grant money to counties to address opioid-involved overdoses, which was really important Mm. because a lot of the other states were saying they had to make decisions based on what they could afford to use, what naloxone they could yeah. afford to use. Yeah. And if three, if the same person turned up three times with an overdose problem, did they give it to them or did they save it mm. and use it for someone mm. who hadn't yeah. used so much? So it was a judgment call. Yeah. But if they're not getting it for nothing, they're more inclined to use it. Quote, Several other blah, blah, blah. And then in 2019, the state provided grant money to counties to address opioid-involved overdoses. Quote, We want to make sure that those areas that are more distant from an EMS or an emergency me- medical service can respond to an emergency a little faster. Although CUHD is Champaign County's health department, it is also distributing naloxone in nine other surrounding counties. Mm. Many of these settings are more rural, with emergency response times slower than in the city. Quote, if it's a smaller town, maybe they have a gas station or a restaurant or a bar, Trotter said. We want to make sure those areas that are more distant from an EMS can respond to an emergency a little faster. Mm. It's great. Yeah. Like much of the US, Illinois has been hit hard by the overdose crisis. State health data show that in 2020, nearly 3,000 residents 3,000 residents died of an opioid-involved overdose. About eight people per day. And wow. an, yeah, an increase of nearly 33% in 2019. That's shocking. There were over 3,500 total drug-related deaths in 2020, and more recent data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, estimate over 3,800 overdose deaths in the state in 2021, a 7.4% increase on 2020. Synthetic opioids like fentanyl have been the primary factor in the increase since 2013. Illinois law gives civil and criminal criminal immunity to people who administer naloxone in a suspected overdose. According to a law passed in 2012, this immunity from criminal prosecution also applies to people who possess small amounts of drugs and seek emergency assistance for someone else. This includes up to three grams of heroin, cocaine or morphine. The law doesn't specifically mention possession of fentanyl, however, and while this Good Samaritan law can encourage people to call for help, Illinois drug-induced homicide statute has the opposite effect. This law creates a felony charge 
for unlawfully delivering a controlled substance to another and any person's death is caused or by that controlled substance. Yeah, in 20, uh, October of 2021, a McHenry County judge rejected a Good Samaritan defence from a woman charged with drug-induced homicide. Trotter acknowledged the state's policies should be improved, but said that business owners should not be discouraged from having naloxone on hand. We're telling these agencies and people who take a kit, when you make a reasonable attempt to save someone's life, you cannot be held liable for doing so, uh, doing that. And I would argue that you are more liable if you don't do any think about it. Absolutely. Never a true word and is spoken. And if you multiply that 3,800 by 52 states, yeah. mm. you get large amounts. And mm. we know that there have been millions of people dying oh, in the United you know, States yeah. from overdose deaths, from opioid overdose mm. deaths. So that's a fabulous program, really worth reporting yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Congratulations, Illinois. Yeah. Mm. Um, just to have that... Oh, just uh, the whole thing about wrapped up in, you know, should you or should you not administer naloxone? It shouldn't even be a decision. Shouldn't yeah. be. This a is question. a human life well, you're talking about. The bottom line about. is that it does nothing else <coughs> but reverse yeah. opioid overdose. It yeah. has mm. no the, other the, the effect. The American thing about suing. Yeah, I think that comes into it too. Oh, right, most definitely, probably plays a part in it. And of course, that was not the replacements. <laughs> One of the songs at the uh, BBC band. That was being the benefit of Mr. Kite by the Beatles. That off was Sergeant from Peppers. Um, Magical Mystery Tour. Mm. No, it's from Sergeant, Sergeant Peppers. Sergeant Peppers, that's yes. right. And apparently, the reason the BBC banned it was because Henry the Horse was dancing the waltz. And <laughs> Henry the Horse, of course, is, of course, of course, of course is heroin. referring yes. to heroin twice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was on that yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just. I am the Walrus. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Was a- it any of these songs that were, were kind of slightly off key or, you know, seemed yeah. to be about nonsense. Look, I just assumed it was, it was about acid trips. Early 70s, it was fabulous. <laughs> yeah, album. Late 60s. Just fabulous. Mm. Anyway, the, the next up, we've been uh, keeping listeners up to date on. Duterte, who used to be the president of the Philippines and is no longer. In fact, now Bongbong Marcos, who I think is probably the grandson or a relationship of uh, Ferdinand Marcos, mm-hmm. who notoriously ran a fairly crooked um, um, presidency. And But uh, I listened to uh, Bongbong Marcos this morning on Filipino News and I tell you, he spoke in English and in Filipino and he was very sensible, intelligent and articulate. But this article that we're doing is Victims of Duterte's Drug War in Philippines Exhumed as Leases Run Out on Their Graves, which is just horrible. Rebecca Tatcliffe and Lorna Biani from The Guardian, the 23rd of the 5th, 2022. Four white marble urns are placed on the table at the front of Panay Chapel. It's a Sunday morning in Quezon City and only the distant sound of an occasional passing car can be heard. Sarah Silliz steps forwards from the pews and helps to cover the urns with a crisp white cloth. A wooden cross is gently placed on top. Two of the urns contain the ashes of Silesia's sons, Almond and Dickley. They were, they were killed six months apart in 2017 during Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte's so-called war on drugs, a merciless, merciless crackdown that mostly targeted young men living in poor urban areas. Silesia, who was left caring for her 12 grandchildren, could barely afford for her sons to be buried. She managed to pay about 10,000 pesos, or $150, for two temporary apartment graves, concrete boxes piled as high as eight storeys, in a public cemetery in Calucan, Greater Manila. The grave leases expired this year. Now, Alman and Dickley's remains sit in urns in the chapel, where they will be blessed and handed to the family. They have been cremated with support from the St Arnold Jansen Kalinga Centre, a Catholic charity which is helping families affected by the drug war 
who are unable to afford permanent burials. Without such support, families risk losing their loved ones' remains completely. It's like, horrible. Yeah, it's likely many more victims will face evictions from cemeteries as the five-year leases on their graves expire. The International Criminal Court, which is investigating abuses related to the anti-drugs operations, estimates that between 12,000 and 30,000 people were killed from July 2016 to March 2019. Victims were often buried in apartment-style graves. These are far more affordable than permanent sites or uh, cremations, but they are only temporary. After lease expires, families are responsible finding, for finding an alternative arrangement. Uh. Cemeteries do not notify the families of the impending expiration of apartment graves, said Father Flaviano Villa Nueva, Nueva, a Catholic priest and founder of the St. Arnold Jansen Kalinga Centre. Instead, graves can be cleared without warning. If you go at the right time, you will see piles of sacks of bones placed, collected, gathered, and later on buried in a common grave site. That sounds horrible. Yeah. For families, it means losing their loved ones a second time. Salise said that she learned last year that she had a brain tumour and wanted to be sure that her sons would be laid to rest to their, uh, with dignity. Paying additional money to the cemetery wasn't an option. Costs related to their deaths in 2017 included their grave apartments, burial wakes and an autopsy for Almon. It already totaled 77,000 peso, which is equivalent of US $1,500. Through Salise... Though Salise runs a Sari Sari shop, a mini neighbourhood convenience store, and sells clothes, she is also supporting her two sons' children who are all at school. Her husband used to work alongside Alman and Dickley as a painter but hasn't worked since their deaths. I I just have to say I cannot get over the uh, eviction of a grave. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Well, sorry, but yes, uh, I must go on. Alman, a father of five, was killed aged 32 on 6 February 2017 when a police task force arrived at a wake he had attended. There was a commotion and he tried to run away. He was shot in the chest and arm. Six months later, Dickley, his 31-year-old younger brother, was killed. Salisa remembers seeing his body in a funeral parlour. He had been shot multiple times, including in the head, chest and arm. His eyes seemed to be crying, she said. Celise was told that Dickley, a father of seven, had been taken to a police station and a bag placed over his head. His body was found abandoned nearby. The St. Arnold Jansen Kalinga Centre, which has exhumed more than 50 bodies over the past year, is funding autopsies for the victims, which could provide evidence for prosecutors, either domestically or internationally. Some autopsies have shown clear irregularities, despite victims' death certificates listing illnesses such as pneumonia or sepsis as causes of death. Examination found they had been shot. Yeah, just have to look. Mm. Duterte will leave office on 30 June, having reached the end of his single six-year term limit. He remains popular at home. Though his war on drugs is now being investigated by the International Criminal Court. His successor, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., has said he will only allow prosecutors from the court to travel to the country as tourists, effectively shielding him from justice. Duterte's daughter, Sara, has been elected the next vice president. At Panay Chapel, Salise weeps as she speaks before the congregation. She is relieved, she says, that her sons have been laid to rest in a much better place. I told my sons, don't worry about the obligations left. I will do it. I will take care of your children. Please guide me, my sons. I will fight to get justice for you. Thank you, my sons, for showing your love when you were still with us. As the service draws to an end, a prayer is read for the souls of those killed. The urns are blessed and sprinkled with holy water. Salise and the relatives of other victims are invited forward to collect their urns. Salise mm. takes her son's urn carefully in her arms and hugs it closely. 
Mm. Mm, that's interesting. So Bong Bong Marcos sounds like is still not going to be, um, be or not going to return to becoming a member of the International Criminal Court mm-hmm. of no. Justice uh, because uh, the Philippines and Duterte in particular um, are being prosecuted up until the time that they left that yep. international criminal cause for mm. the deaths. They're being investigated anyway for the deaths of um, uh, up to what thirteen thousand people yeah. they yeah. said um, and probably tools. more than that actually yeah. because the police were being paid per capita so for d- those that they killed just quickly before we go wrap up today's show i just want to uh speak to jimmy and just um jimmy can you just notify us next week about what's happening with the reconciliation week show uh well next week um at karma there is a connection which is the uh Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander program. We have um, myself, Jimmy Capine, a Bunjalang Nguyenal man. We have uh, Eva Lee Williams and Monica Ruffy. Ruffy. Um, uh, Next week we are hosting the show. Um, Well, I know I definitely am. And I'll be bringing in some guest speakers, um, hopefully some big names with the could talk about some controversial stuff and uh, give you guys something uh, really interesting to listen to, play some deadly music, um, and yeah, talk about uh, what you know recognition means to us and where you know we think the government is doing things good. We think it's great. There's a public holiday in ACT. It's the only jurisdiction that has uh, a public holiday, mm-hmm. so it's leading yep. the way. But, yeah, there's still a lot to be done, so we'll be talking about that kind of stuff. So. That sounds great, right. Jimmy. It sounds awesome. And yep. if you need any more details of that, just contact the Karma office. You've been listening to News from the Drug Warfront. Thank you, Maz. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Jimmy, for joining us today. And we, you love you we love and you all. And thank you to everybody. Think, uh, we love you all. Say well until next week, please, don't at forget, least. Yeah, and don't forget to tune in to The Wire, which is coming up after us on 2XXFM 98.3, paper-powered radio. We're going to take you out with a quick little bit of the replacements now. And we're good to go now, aren't we, Dave? I think so. All right. What's this one called, Dave? The Ledge. The Ledge. Uh, have, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah.